Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. Here is the word of the Lord. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice or grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his, hair, of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother, for brother or sister. If they die, shall he make himself unclean because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. And if any man dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his, un- of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. On the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two pigeons to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned by reason of the dead body. And he shall consecrate his head that same day and separate himself to the Lord for the days of his separation and bring a male lamb, a year old, for a guilt offering. But the previous period shall be void because his separation was defiled. And this is the law of the Nazarite when the time of his separation has been completed. He shall be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and he shall bring his gift to the Lord, one male lamb, a year old, without blemish, for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a sin offering, and one ram without blemish, as a peace offering, and a basket of unleavened bread, loaves of fine flour mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and their grain offering, and their drink offerings." And the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall also uh, shall offer also its grain offering and its drink offering. And the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire that is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the shoulder of the ram, which, when it is boiled, and one unleavened loaf out of the basket, and one uncle- unleavened wafer, and shall put them on the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved the hair of his consecration. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. They are a holy portion for the priest, together with the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed. And after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite. But if he vows an offering to the Lord above his Nazarite vow, as he can afford, in exact accordance with the vow that he takes, then he shall do in addition to the law of the Nazarite. All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Nazarite vow in your word. And we pray that as we look at it, that you would stir our hearts, that you would help us to understand God, more and more of what you are calling us to through your word. We thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. 
The Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow. We take a good look at this. It's a little weird, right? It's a little weird. Take a good look at it, though. Especially those of us who, by God's grace, want to follow Jesus. And we see in this vow, as we look at this vow, we see the level of commitment, the heart that Jesus is calling us to in the New Testament. Sometimes we, um, sometimes we make the idea of following Jesus more vague and mystical than it needs to be. Sometimes we make it... Um, yeah, it, 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 can be, it can be clear to us what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is one of those terms that we throw around all the time. We throw it around all the time. There's lots of stuff like that in Christian, um, Christianese. There's a lot of terms that we just throw around. It's good to stop every once in a while and think, what do those terms actually mean? And this chapter, believe it or not, Numbers chapter 6 helps us to get a picture of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, I am not going to encourage you to let your hair grow long. I'm not going to encourage you to, uh, to say no to grapes. I've got a couple of children in my household that if we cut out grapes from their diet, um, we would be this close to anarchy. And so we, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to tell you to stop going to funerals. But as we look at this, we're going to see a picture of the heart that Jesus wants us to have. The level of commitment that Jesus calls us to. The Old Testament is wonderful, even though it predates, it comes before the life and the ministry of Jesus, because the, the Old Testament helps us to see the, the, the level of commitment that God wants us to have. The heart that God wants us to have. The pursuit of holiness that God wants us to have. The Old Testament gives us a picture of how serious God wants us to be. And so what we're going to do is we're going to think about ourselves. And, and, and if you're here this morning, I'm guessing that you um, want to follow Jesus. That may not be true for all of us, but I'm guessing that you want to follow Jesus. This passage will help us. This passage will help us. We're going to see four things that it means to follow Jesus. We're going to see it means a changed heart. It means self-denial. It means counting the cost. And it means living for the glory of God. Following Jesus means a changed heart. It means self-denial. It means counting the cost. And it means living for the glory of God. So let's look at those one by one. First thing we see from this vow, what it means to follow Jesus... It means a changed heart. One of the most fascinating things about this vow, and this is why one of the main reasons it's called a special vow in verse 2. Special vow there means something like mind-boggling vow, like, like um, surprisingly unique vow. 
What makes this one very different, what makes it stand out in the Bible, is that it is completely voluntary. No one has to do this. No one has to do this. You don't have to take this vow. Anybody can. A man or a woman, anybody in Israel can. Um, And it is a it is a special time in their lives where they want to pursue holiness in a special way, where they want to serve God in a special way, where they want to go um, beyond what they're already doing. They want, they want to do something um, more than what they're already doing. They want to fight sin or pursue holiness or serve God or show their appreciation or thankfulness or love for God in a, in a concrete way for a time in their life. And so they're going to take this Vow. They don't have to, but they want to. What this reminds us right off the bat here this morning is that if, if you want to follow Jesus, it means that, it means that you've had a changed heart. This is what it means for us today when we want to follow Jesus because something happens as we look at this Nazarite vow. We look at this Nazarite vow and it is completely foreign to the person who doesn't love God. It makes no sense to the person who loves God. And if you look at the demands that Jesus places on His followers' lives, if you you read what the Bible calls us to, it makes no sense unless you love God. Something Something happens along the way by God's grace. We go from saying, why would anyone want to do that? Why would anyone want to go the extra mile for God? Why would anyone want to do that too? Why would, why would anyone not want to? Something happens in our hearts. Titus 2 puts it this way. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to... Re- the grace of God trains us. We don't think of grace as something that trains, but the grace of God, the the free gift of God, the free love of God to His people through Jesus trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. That self-controlled is going to show up here in a few minutes. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself up for us to redeem us. He forgave us of our sins. That's a huge part of it. But He also redeemed us from all lawlessness. And to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. We're excited. We're passionate about good works. How does that happen? Jesus changes our hearts. He changes us. We are now zealous. It's not, this is not something, oh, we have to or else God won't like me. It's not, oh, we, I have to or else so people will be impressed with me. It's none of that. It's not legalism. It's not trying to prove anything. It is our hearts are now stirred up to honor God. Grace of God has come to us through Jesus Christ and, and now we want to. We are zealous to live for Him. So that's the first thing, this Nazarite vow. This is, this is um, just this wonderful picture of this person, this man or this woman in the, in the Old Testament, the time of Moses, saying, I want to show my appreciation for God. I want to show my thankfulness to, to God. I want, to, I want to show that I'm serious about turning away from sin, about 
about pursuing holiness. I want to go, I want to go further than where I'm going right now. I want to do more. My heart is being changed by God. So that's the first thing it means as we look at this in our day and age. First thing it means to follow Jesus, it means a changed heart. Second thing it means is self-denial. Alright, so once again, this law is voluntary. It's voluntarily denying yourself. It's, it's saying, um, because of my commitment to God, I'm gonna take this vow, this Nazarite vow, and I'm going to, and I'm gonna do some things. I'm gonna say no to some extra things in my life. I'm done with grapes. I'm done with wine. I'm done with vinegar. I'm done with, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna go to any, even any family funerals. I'm not going to cut my hair. The Old Testament believer didn't have to do those things. They chose to. They chose to. And you have to, you you begin to wonder what is the connection between self-denial and honoring God. And the, and the Christian in, in the year 2020 starts to wonder what is the connection between self-denial and following Jesus? Why did Jesus say in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself? Why does Titus 2 talk about self-control, about renouncing, renouncing ungodliness, turning away, saying no? What, what is the connection? Jesus says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Why is self-denial built into following Jesus? Why even, why even saying no to like neutral things? What does that have to do with anything? These, these, these Nazarites are saying no to neutral things. To optional things. They're not saying no to all neutral things. They're not becoming monks or hermits. They're still um, enjoying the good things in their lives. But they're saying no to some of the good things. Some of the optional things. Some of the, some of the perfectly fine things. They're turning away from some of them. What is the connection between self-denial and following Jesus and honoring God? Why do we have to do this? Well, again, we don't have to. We don't have to. But what we notice, and what I've noticed, and I don't, I don't have to spend a lot of time convincing you of this, if you, if you stop and you think about it, you realize, well, I realized, and if you stop and think, you'd probably realize too, if I want to serve Jesus in the different roles He's given me, Jesus has, in His grace, allowed me to be the husband of a wonderful wife, to be the father of of wonderful children. I'm not even going to make a smart comment. That's how serious I am about this. I'm not even going to say something stupid. I love my children. I love my wife. I love this church. I am, I am, I promise you, routinely shocked that anybody shows up ever. I am humbled and shocked, and I am, I am, I am grateful to pastor First Baptist Church. You guys have no idea. It is a joy So if I want to serve Jesus in the different roles He's given me, as a husband, as a pastor, as a father, as a friend, as a neighbor, if I want to serve Jesus, I'm going to have to deny myself. I only have so much to give. I only have so much time. I only have so much energy. I only have so much money. And so if, if 
serving Jesus, if making disciples in the different roles He has given me, if being kind and sacrificial and servant-hearted and, and, and courageous with the truth, I, I only have so much of me to give to those things. I only have so much bandwidth in my life. I can only do so much. And what I've noticed is that the, the more that I say no to extra indulgences in my life, the, the more and the more and the more I can follow Jesus. There is a direct connection. There is a direct correlation between saying no to myself, even on things. And I'm not even talking about sinful things. Obviously, we have to say no on sinful things. I'm just talking about extra things. When we deny ourselves, it will free us up to serve Jesus. It will mean that we can put time and energy and effort and money and our ability, the, the, the limited resources that God has given us. There's a lot of things I could do. There's, there's, there's movies I could watch, but I've learned it's really difficult for me to love my wife, love my family well if I'm going to watch a bunch of those kinds of movies. I, I, I've learned that there's, there's places I could spend my money, there's things I could do with my time. But I've learned that if I'm, going to, if I'm going to more and more follow Jesus, I'm going to have to say no to some of that extra stuff. So good for us to build self-denial into our lives. Another reason it's good to, to build self-denial into our lives is because it helps us. It gives us strength for when we have to say no. When it's not optional. When it's not optional. It's kind of like our children. A 1700s preacher said, it's, you, training yourself to know, say no is kind of like the way you train your child. If you, if you never teach them to deny themselves, to deal with things they don't like, to sacrifice for the sake of the family, to, to put others first, if you never teach them to say no, they never will. When they need to. And this is how we have to treat ourselves, like a child sometimes. We learn how to say no to ourselves. It helps us. It helps us to slow down and make good decisions. And by the way, by the way, if you know people in your life, and I know people in my life, I know people in my life who say no to things that I don't say no to. Alright? So there are people in, in, and they're not doing it for legalistic reasons. They're not doing it so God will like them more. They're not doing it so that, so that people will think, oh, they're really holy. In fact, you probably wouldn't even know they were saying no until you got, really got to know them. They're not flaunting it. They're not bragging about it. They're not being Pharisees. They're not being legalistic. But there's just, there's just things in their lives for their own reasons. They've come to understand. They've come to understand that they need to say no to these optional things in order to serve their family better, in order to serve the church better, in order to follow Jesus more. They need to say no to optional things. Let's be very careful about the way we look at them and the way we talk about them and the way we talk to them. Because sometimes that makes us nervous. When someone's committed to Jesus, it makes me nervous. It makes me feel like, oh man, they're, you know, I feel a little kind of bad about myself. I better, I better make fun of them a little bit so I feel better about myself. 
Amos talks about this. You guys remember Amos? Amos says, and Amos is a prophet, and, and he's telling, this is years after Moses, this is generations after Moses, and he's telling the people of Israel, here's why you guys are going to be judged. Here's why you guys are going to be judged. He says in Amos chapter 2, God speaks through Amos and says, And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel? So so the Lord says, I raised up prophets and I raised up Nazarites for you people. But you made the Nazarites drink wine, Amos 2.12. You made them break their vow. You said, you people are making me nervous. You're way too interested in, in serving God. You're way too interested in honoring God. That's way too much for me. So you made the people taking the Nazarite vow to break their vow because it made you uncomfortable. Amos says this is part of the reason. This is, this is tantamount to, to commanding the prophets, you shall not prophesy. God lumps that together. So if you have people in your life who are voluntarily denying themselves so that they can serve Jesus, don't discourage them. This is what got people in trouble. Encourage them. Follow their example. Following Jesus means a changed heart and it also means self-denial. And then third, it means counting the cost. Counting the cost. I'm going to say it again. Nazarites didn't have to take this vow. I'm going to keep pointing that out. But if they did, they had to understand what it would cost them. They had to take it seriously. If they're going to make a vow to God, they have to take it seriously. And even we read in, in, in verses 9-12, through 12, we saw how if they even accidentally break their vow, if they like somehow, if someone dies near them, if someone dies near them, they have to start their vow over. You count the cost before you do this. And there's, and there's more to it than even that. Um, Jesus says in Luke 14, He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? You, before you make the decision to go to, to follow Jesus, to pursue holiness, to, to try to make disciples in your family or in your church or in your neighborhood, before you, before you decide, I'm going to go, you have to, you have to count the cost, Jesus says. You don't just start building a tower and hope you have enough stuff in the end. You count the cost. You think about these, um, these Nazarites. I, I think... Paul took a Nazarite vow at least once, maybe twice. The Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, it just just, just barely mentions it. But in Acts 18, it talks about him going to get a haircut because he had completed a vow. And that's got to be a Nazarite vow. I mean, I'm like 97.12% sure that it is a Nazarite vow that, that Paul took. And Paul already wasn't a great-looking dude, so can you imagine Paul with just, like, never cutting his hair? And, and just kind of... So he had to go and, and be a church planter, and everywhere he went, if he, was, if he was speaking publicly, or if he was... Whatever he was doing, Paul, what, what's going on with your, 
hair, body. Dude, don't do that. That's weird. Everywhere he went, he stood out. Everywhere the Nazarites went, people said, oh, that Nazarite. Nazarite. Huh, interesting. This is part of counting the cost for the disciple as well. It should be pretty obvious that we belong to Jesus. It should show up in our lives. I was thinking as I was reading this, I, I wonder if, if, if your neighbors and your, your extended family and your co-workers, and if my neighbors and my extended family and my co-workers, if they didn't know that I went to church every Sunday morning, would they know I was a Christian? Would there be any indication in my life that I was a Christian? Would it come out in my conversation, in the way that I live, in my priorities? Would it, would it show up anywhere in my life? The, the Nazarites are here and they remind us that there should be an obvious, an obvious look about us. Not a hairstyle, not a clothing style, but it should be apparent in our lives as people get to know us that we belong to Jesus. And this is going to be, this is going to be in some ways difficult for us. We're going to need to count the cost. It'll show up in our family, family relationships as well. Can you imagine not attending a family funeral because of a vow you had made to God? Imagine offending your family, hurting your family's feelings, producing strain in your family because you're going to honor God. Jesus, in Matthew 12 says this could happen to us. There is a priority that, that, that's got to take place. He says, while, he was still, while Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. I wouldn't want to be the disciple that he pointed at when he said mother, unless it was one of the women disciples, I guess. Anyhow, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mothers. Jesus, my mother. Jesus says there's a, there's, there's a priority here. There's a priority. You have your earthly family, which it, you should honor and you should take care of the best that you can. But there are going to be times where they're not going to understand you and you're going to disappoint them because you're going to have to follow Jesus and they're not going to get it. You may never be called to make that kind of decision, but don't be surprised if you are. Following Jesus means counting the cost. It means a changed heart. It means self-denial. And it means counting the cost. And then finally, it means... Living for the glory of God. The, the Nazarite completes his vow, right? So this is a temporary vow. He didn't have to do it for the rest of his life. She didn't have to do it for the rest of her life. The, the, the Nazarite completes his vow of separation in verses 13 through 20, and then there is a thing they have to go through. I mean, it is, a, it is, it is quite a thing. Verse 13, and this is the law for the Nazarite when the time of his separation has been completed. He shall be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting 
Right? So he comes to the entrance of the tabernacle and he shall bring his gift to the Lord. One male lamb, a year old, without blemish for a burnt offering. One ewe lamb, a year old, without blemish as a sin offering. One ram, without blemish as a peace offering. So basically a barnyard he's bringing with him. And a basket of, of unleavened bread, loaves of fine flour mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. So now he has a bakery. He has a barnyard and a bakery he's bringing with him. And their grain offering and their drink offerings... And the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering and he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord with a basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering. And look at verse 18. And the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So I guess the priest just had a little barber chair there. Shall shave his consecrated head at the tent of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire that is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. So he's been growing his hair out for a few months, maybe a few years, maybe 10 years, maybe 14 years. He's, it could be just 30 days or something like that. Or it could be a while. This hair has been his symbol, his sign of his commitment to the Lord. That, that, he wanted, that he wanted God's glory more than he wanted his own reputation or his own comfort. That he had devoted his life for that time to God's service in some, in some unique way. And so now that when the time of his vow is over, he says to God, this was for you. He cuts his hair off and he lays it down as a sacrifice. He lays it down as an offering before God. And he says, God, this was for you. This is because you rescued us out of Egypt. Because you are worthy. Because you are good. This was for you. This... So this vow in the Bible times was costly. It was self-denying, but it was temporary. It was temporary. And this is what I want to drive home with you this morning as well, and with me this morning as well. Yes, following Jesus is, it is self-denial. It is costly. But it is temporary. It's going to mean, yes, that we have to say no to ourselves while we are here on earth. That we, we can't just have everything we want. That there are going to be some times to say no to our comforts and no to our own desires. It's going to mean that we have to count the cost. That we are going to suffer maybe some marginalization or some embarrassment when we publicly associate ourselves with Jesus, with His Word. So there's going to, there's going to be some self-denial. There's going to be some cost. But it's temporary because there is coming a day when we stand before Jesus. And it's going to be a lot like this. It's going to be a lot like this. The Bible routinely connects the hair on our head with a crown of glory. You'll see that as you work your way through Psalms and Proverbs. You'll see this connection between the hair on our head and glory. You see it in the New Testament as well. So you have this idea of this Nazarite laying his crown of glory at the the feet of God. Saying, God, this was for you. And we have this day when you and I are going to, whatever crowns we have earned in this life, 
Whatever, whatever crowns, whatever rewards Jesus has given us as we followed Him, and all of this is by His grace, we'll throw those crowns down at His feet and we'll say, Jesus, this was for You. This was for You. This is because, this is because You are worthy. Because You have changed our hearts. Because You have given us strength. Because You... The Good Shepherd, you are worthy. You, den- you denied yourself. You counted the cost. You picked up the cross that we deserve. And because you died to save us, you are worthy. So as we look at this Nazarite vow, we, we remember, we see a very interesting picture, and we are reminded. Yes, following, following Jesus is, well, first of all, it's, it's only something we do because he's changed our heart. And then secondly, it is absolutely going to involve denying ourselves. And then, and then third, yes, it is, it, is going to, it is going to have to include counting the cost. But as we are doing that here, and we are living a life for His glory, we keep in mind that this is going to come to an end. And there is going to be a day where by God's grace, we get to lay a crown down at Jesus' feet and say, this was for you, for your glory. That day is coming. Let's pray together. God, I thank You for Your Word. And I look forward to the day where by Your grace alone, only, absolutely only by Your grace, we get to say thank You to Your Son who has saved us. I pray that not only would we look forward to that day, but we would spend our lives sorting out what it means to to day by day say thank You to the One who saved us walking worthy of the Gospel, desiring Your glory above all things. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.